Hey friends, welcome back. Happy New Year. I hope you've had a fantastic holiday. As you all know, this is America Dissected. I'm your host, Dr. Abdul Al-Sayed. We're doing things a little bit differently today. Joining us today is Travel Anderson, host of Crooked Media's What A Day podcast and guest host with me today. We'll be sharing in a conversation that features all of the questions that you've asked us and a little bit more about the pandemic, where we're headed, and about the foundational basis of public health. I hope you enjoy. All right, Travel Anderson is an award-winning journalist, social curator, and world changer who always comes to slay. Travel, thank you for slaying on our pod. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for our conversation today. Well, thank you again for uh, for making it. So this episode is going to be a little bit different than uh, you're used to. We wanted to uh, have a conversation where uh, where Travel is going to serve as the voice of uh, the audience. So we're going to share a conversation to, uh, today, and uh, they're going to read some questions to me. Uh, I'm going to read some questions to them. But most of all, we're going to share a, a great conversation about this pandemic, where we are right now, about public health, uh, and about where we go from here. I'm excited to get into all of the COVID, Omicron, Omicron. I don't know how you say it. I say Omicron. I'll be honest. Uh, I didn't know how to how to pronounce that letter until uh, I had to talk about it on CNN. And so I was like, all right, I Googled, how do you say this? So th- I think there's two, uh, two approaches. One is Omicron and the other one is Omicron. But like, I'm not Greek. That's the thing. Yeah. I'm like the other side. My, my family's from the other side of the Mediterranean. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> They make me say over on what a day. They make me say Omicron, um, but I'm country. I'm from South Carolina, so my my default is Omicron. But you know, I'm working I mean, through I, that. I agree. Like it should be Omicron, right? I mean, if you're going to put an I in that word, <laughs> it's Omicron, right? Otherwise, you're just like you know, right? transliterated a different way. <laughs> Valid point, valid point. All right. So uh, our, our episode is going to look a little bit different than, than usual. Um, we really wanted to set up a conversation to really bring out the questions that folks have about where we are in the pandemic, wh- what public health is doing about it, uh, and where we go from here. And I thought, um, who better to have this conversation than Travel, uh, who's been covering this on our partner podcast, uh, What a Day, um, and so is really engaged in this conversation day to day, but also, you know, sets up a conversation where they and I can really have a conversation about uh, where we go from here and what we know, what we don't, uh, and where we go. All right, Travel, you ready? Let's do it. Do you want to go, <clears throat> you want to ask the first question? First question. You know, I feel like we, we've we been at this thing for three years. It feels like there's so much still up in the air. But like, did, did anyone see this pandemic coming down the road and they could have given us, you know, a little heads up? <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing. Th- they both saw it coming and didn't see it coming. And here's what I mean by that. We've been getting warnings from the public health uh, professionals who track these things for decades now, that it was really only a matter of when and not if, that we should be Mm. vigilant and be ready. But there's a unique thing about humanity where we're really good at ignoring uh, imminent threats, right? We we just, we always kick them off another day. Take climate change. It's a perfect example of this. Right. (laughs) And the problem is, is because nobody could name exactly what the virus was going to be, where it was going to show up or when, it made kicking the can down the road a lot easier. And so we've been disinvesting in public health and the tools that we needed to be able to fight this pandemic for decades now. If you look in particular uh, during the Great Recession, we saw the greatest disinvestment in state and local public health that we've seen in a long time. 
uh, in large part because of the austerity um, that defined that period. And so the hard part about public health is you're like, listen, we got to be ready for the next threat. They're like, well, the next threat hasn't come for a long time. Why do we think there's going to be a next threat? Mm. Like, well, mm-hmm. these really smart people who've been studying this stuff tell us that there's going to be a next threat. And they're like, well, I don't see it coming. So why don't we draw down? And so we've been disinvesting and disinvesting and disinvesting. And that's left us uh, flat-footed when it comes to this particular pandemic. So uh, we had seen it coming, but we couldn't name when, we couldn't name if. And um, the hard part, right, is that, you know, if, if you're uh, sitting here saying, look, it's coming, it's coming, and it hasn't come yet, you always look like a Cassandra until it actually comes, um, in which case, <laughs> right, right, you, you don't want to be right about these things. That's the, that's the problem with being an epidemiologist. I'll be honest with you, Travel. The worst thing about being an epidemiologist is that you actually never know? You actually never know when it's coming, and uh, and when you're right, everybody is upset about it, and when you're wrong, nobody takes you seriously. So uh, it's a, it's a it's a no win situation uh, as it goes. I want to ask you, how has COVID been for you? Walk me through the dynamics of 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 your experience of the pandemic. You know, it has been a journey. I'll say it that way. It has been a journey. I think much like everyone else, just having kind of the, my everyday schedule upended um, was a challenge at the beginning. Um, Like staying home, not being able to go out and dip it and do it in the ways that I want to, right? Just was, it just, it did not feel good. And now almost three years later, it's like, wow, is this our new normal? Are we ever going back to that that former world that we all enjoyed so much? And like, I feel like every day, especially now with Omicron and, you know, mask mandates are coming back and all these different things, right? It's just like, wow, we're just going to be wearing masks until I die is what it feels like. <laughs> That's a painful thought. You know, I've got a, I've got Isn't a, it? Um, it is. <laughs> I got a four year old, and it's hard to believe, but like most of her life has been in this pandemic. Like, yeah. she's really good at reading eyes because half the time she can't even tell if somebody's like actually smiling, like in their fa- in their in their, <laughs> in, their in their mouth. So like, oh my God. you're really good at just reading eyes, and and you know whether or not someone's smiling or glaring. Uh, behind a mask. And I'm like, you know, I guess that's a good thing, but also you shouldn't have to do that, right? Because, yeah. you know, I, I drop her off to preschool and every kid's got a mask, every teacher's wearing a mask. And um, and that's just that's just not normal. At the same time, I'm really glad that they do that at her school. I'm, it's really important, particularly given that she's not yet old enough to be able to receive a vaccine. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it is a it is a it is a weird world in in which that we're, we're living and where we've gotten um, somewhat accustomed to this like new normal where everything's done on Zoom and you, you can't really see and touch people. Yeah, and you know, I think it's also been hard the ways that like all of the conversation around vaccines and masks have just like, in my words, revealed the true colors mm. of a lot of people. You know, whether it's family members or friends who, you know, don't believe in science. Right. Or, you know, and it's just like, wow. Like, I had all of this respect for you at one point in time. And wow, you are just ignorant. Right. Or like and in some people, I would I do want to say some people have, you know, legitimate earned skepticism of like the medical establishment, especially black folks. OK, we do. However, it's just like at this point, 
like we said, almost now three years into this, to still be on the anti-vax train. It just, it's, I just, you know, sometimes I just want to, you know, shake somebody into consciousness really quickly. But you can't do that. You can't put your hands on people. Um, and so, like, that's how I'm, like, just dealing with and navigating this moment. And I guess I want to ask you, like, how are we going into year three of this? We are the United States. We're supposed to be so advanced to have all of these resources and all of that. But, like, year three, now Omicron seems to be, like, you know, re-unsettling so much. Not to mention what's happening, right, in, in the international sector, right, where the vaccination rates aren't where ours are. But, like, how are we still going at this three years in when we're supposed to have, like, the best medical situation and stuff like that? Yeah, my friend, that's a that's a really, really, really good question. And it is a tragic and frustrating uh, condemnation of a couple of things. The first is that, you know, we are the richest, most powerful country in the world. And for a long time, we had thought that when there was this kind of threat, that it would bring us together. But that happened in the context where we had recently elected someone who understood that division is a uh, very powerful way to gain power, particularly when you're playing to the racism and uh, and grievance of a um, population that feels that their cultural dominance for a very long time is under threat, and um, and that person decided that 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 he wanted to uh, politicize this pandemic in a way that was um, that could not be undone, and so mm-hmm. almost everything that came after it was seen in a political light, and of course, you know. For him, his incentives were to politicize it in a way uh, that denied its very existence, which meant that there was an implicit denial of all the things that we needed to do to protect ourselves from it. And early on, that meant doing things like wearing masks or uh, quarantining and isolating or uh, investing in contact tracing and being willing to participate in uh, the collective goods that are the fundamentals of public health. And we all thought that after we'd failed on that, that our technical capacity, right, our prowess in science uh, research and development was going to save us, that we were going to mm-hmm. be able to uh, innovate our way out of this. And once we uh, had um, developed a vaccine that was safe and effective, that it was only a matter of time until everybody did the obvious thing, got vaccinated, and moved out. But it turns out that the oldest technology is probably pl- public trust right? It's the thing that civilizations are built out of. Mm. You know, you, you can't trust the public. You can't trust public institutions. Then at some point, the, the whole thing kind of collapses. And the reality yeah. of it is that public trust has been eroded, eroded so deeply that it has defeated our capacity to, to get this technology, this life-saving technology, this, you know, marvel uh, of medical science out to people. And we're now in a situation where where only about 60% of our population has been vaccinated. And so what that means is that there are many, many pockets of people in whom every new variant gets gets to, to, to enrich itself. And then there's the point where, uh, unfortunately, we have not understood the lesson that we are, in fact, in a global pandemic, which means that we cannot mm-hmm. only act locally, we must act globally. And we have, in, 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 in so many ways, failed to do what it takes to vaccinate the whole globe. And so you, you, you continue to see new variants emerging 
in uh, in communities all over the world uh, where either there is little access to vaccines or the uh, the, the the slowness with which we've moved vaccines has allowed misinformation mm-hmm. and disinformation to creep in faster to cut public trust of the vaccines. In particular, right, we, we don't quite know where Omicron um, uh, emerged, but we do know that it enriched itself first in, in South Africa. And in South Africa, right, only about 35% of people uh, are mm-hmm. fully vaccinated. And that you know, is not a function of the fact that they don't have vaccine in South Africa. It's a function of the fact that people don't want to take it. But to your point earlier, Travel, the point that you made about the earned skepticism um, uh, of medical science in the black community, that ports to South Africa, where, by the way, mm-hmm. they they were dealing with a serious pandemic not 20 years ago, and that was the HIV pandemic. We don't call it a pandemic, right? Because the people whom it infected, whether here or abroad, were people that our society implicitly or explicitly marginalizes, whether you're talking about yeah. members of the LGBTQ community or you're talking about black folk. Um, and mm-hmm. so when our companies kept life-saving antiretroviral medications away from South Africans who were struggling under the weight of the HIV pandemic, right? It said something to people about how we value their lives. And it wasn't until the patents on those medications uh, were finally let go of and waivers were finally given so that um, in South Africa they could manufacture their own antiretrovirals that people trusted mm-hmm. them. And we're seeing history repeat itself, not not two decades later. And so the the, the impact of systemic racism and marginalization, it continues um, to hurt people. And it also comes back and reverberates and hits us. Um, and so, yeah. you know, this is a truly global pandemic. And, you know, the fact of the matter is you, you as, you know, as an individual or as a collective may look down on others or marginalize others or, uh, or um, hold back resources from others, but the same virus that can infect them can infect you. And um, in, mm-hmm. in, in some respects, COVID uh, has demonstrated that, that, um, that none of us, right, no matter how uh, much resource that you think you have, uh, none of us is, is truly immune um, and yet, and yet, the people who suffered worst have tended to be the people who are most marginalized yeah. in our society or abroad. Yeah. Oh, Lord, Jesus, have mercy on me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you, what's, what's still keeping you up at night? What, what are you still really worried about most when it comes to COVID right now? I think the main thing that I'm worried and concerned about is just the uncertainty Right. Like, you know, I am vaccinated, fully vaccinated. I got my booster shot and everything. And yet we're still, you know, the the breakthrough cases, I think, are concerning for a lot of people. Right. Who are are, who want to be out and about, who want to have some semblance of normalness to their holiday season. You know, right now, all of the holiday parties are happening. Folks want to go out. And I think a lot of it is like, even if you are vaccinated, even if you are boosted, I think for me, it has been worrisome just to be in shared space with people again, whether whether that's your family, whether that's your friend group, whether that's going out to a concert or whatever. Um, I've had just a lot of 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 uncertainty about doing that, even as I see everybody else doing it and and being fine after the fact. It's just something that I still haven't yet been able to like quite shake anytime I do go out and do something I I have to to just put that kind of thought 
to the wayside, put it in the back of my head and not let it like, you know, impede me. So like, I think that's the main thing is just the the uncertainty and, you know, having to allow this all to unfold as it will unfold and really not being able to like have any control over it, it seems. Yeah, that, that, um, that feeling of helplessness mm-hmm. and the lack of knowledge about when it's all going to end I feel like is such a cause for anxiety about uh, about this 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 moment and um you never really know you know who has been vaccinated who could be carrying the virus at the same time I hope you know I hope that you take some comfort in knowing that you made a really good set of decisions three times to get <laughs> to get vaccinated uh because that's the most important thing that we can do I, I sort of think about personal COVID protection as, um, as getting dressed to go out in the snow. I know that's not some, uh, you know, if you're, if you're from South Carolina, you did very often <laughs> when you were a kid, but growing up here in Michigan, uh, I'll tell you that, you know, it, keeping yourself, um, warm is about layers, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You, you put on that thermal underwear, then, then you put on, you know, that sweater, then you put on that coat, um, you put on your gloves and you, in, in, in your hat and your scarf. And, and that three dose boost that you've gotten, the three doses of vaccine, that's like the coat, right? If, you, if you're going to go out in the cold, mm-hmm. the last thing you should forget is your coat. If you're not going to wear your thermal underwear, fine. I mean, you really just want to put your coat on like bare chested, fine, right? But at least wear your coat, right? I, I can imagine, I actually remember my my mother yelling at me particularly <laughs> about those things. Um, and so, you know, you've done the thing that is the most important, right? You've put on that coat, Um and in the end, it's the best way to protect yourself and also protect others yeah. from what you potentially could be carrying, right? And that, that, like, that, that's the, the other part of this. I wish folks understood that like, you are doing a public service when you, cho- you choose to get vaccinated because you're not just protecting yourself, you're protecting others um, from you and you're protecting the community uh, by putting up one more barrier that the virus um, has to go through to be able to spread. And then the next thing is the mask, right? Like it's the, that's the, that's the sort of next, the next biggest, most important thing. That being said, I don't know if you saw this, uh, this article in the Atlantic about someone, uh, someone wrote about uh, that most people in their community treat, treat COVID like it's over. Um, Did you, did you read that article for chance? I didn't read that article, but like I said, I'm from South Carolina. My mom still lives in South Carolina and it's like, I went to go visit a number of mm. months ago and it's like COVID is not happening. My mother mm. has been going to work every single day since all of this foolishness went down and she's wow. vaccinated and she wears her mask and she's a germaphobe, period. So she's cleaning everything anyway. But like, it is absurd how different it is from here in LA, for example, where generally people seem to be wearing masks, getting vaccinated, et cetera, to go to someplace like South Carolina where they're overall just don't seem to care. We'll be back with more of my conversation with guest host Travell Anderson after this break. We're back with more of my conversation with guest host Travell Anderson. It is profoundly frustrating because the the sad truth of it is that there's a thing that we, there's a trick that we play on ourselves, which is that, you know, we only ever really see our own experience. And it's it's Mm. a relatively recent thing that we can actually collectively measure experiences. Like, yeah, I think about the ability to, you know, collect data that is actually reliable over time 
It's a pretty new mm-hmm. thing in, in like human society. So we're not really all that great at engaging with empirics and, you know, broader numbers. But, you know, if you don't want to do a thing to protect yourself from a risk that is out there, it's easy to just ignore the risk and to say that those collective numbers are lying to you because it hasn't happened to you yet. And I worry that, you know, you do that enough times, um, in the end, it is the the reason why um, we're now nearing up on 800,000 people who've died of this mm-hmm. disease. And the only moment when people really engage with the truth of it is when it's too late. Like, oh, it has happened yeah. to me now, right? And um, I, I, I worry a lot about what that says about our ability to take on other broad collective kinds of challenges, climate change being the obvious one, right? Because like if people aren't willing to take a vaccine that clearly definitively protects them from a virus that they know is out there because at least they've heard the stories of friends and neighbors getting sick, what does it mean for people deciding to, you know, curtail their um, their carbon footprint or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. rethink the way that we provide ourselves energy? Of course, you know, fossil fuels are out because they're cheap and easy. Um to be able to protect ourselves from from a bad thing that could happen. And, you know, given the the, the tragic tornadoes that tore through uh, the Middle West this, this past weekend, it is a reminder that just because you don't see it coming doesn't mean that it won't come, right? And, yeah. and, and, and so it really is just a, like a, a, a sad sort of space of, of, of mind that we've all, you know, many of us have chosen to occupy. It's super sad, but at the same time, it makes me want to ask then, like, is is there any hope, right? Like, is is there something that we should be holding on to, considering how sad the circumstances seem to be to, like, keep us going or push us through this next year? Javel, thank you for bringing the hope. I appreciate you. Um, <laughs> I, I Look, there's, there's a lot to bring us hope. Um, the first is that, you know, the, the nature of this is that this virus in the long term is interested in spreading itself, but doesn't really quite care if it makes us sick. It really doesn't. And the early evidence, and I I still say early, and I I don't want folks to take what I'm about to say and be like, it's not that serious. Abdul said so. No, Um, it's still serious, but Mm -hmm. we're seeing a trend toward less severity, right? Omicron seems to be causing less severe illness than, uh, than, than, than Delta did certainly and that's a that's a good thing. Um, I wouldn't hang my hat on it, right? You still should be putting your coat on and 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 uh, putting those gloves and that 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 uh, hat on. But um, it it is it is um, important. And then the other part of this is that every time a new uh, variant rips through society, it leaves a lot of acquired immunity in its wake. And um, as that happens, more and more people, right, will become functionally, even in the short term, immune, which uh, which reduces the capacity for the next one and the next one, right? And mm-hmm. so all of our hopes are that um, we are going to get to this point where this virus moves to become endemic, meaning it's no longer pandemic, meaning that it... it looks like it's seasonal. And so you, you, this is something that we'll continue to have to contend with, but it's not going to be the fundamental pillar upon which we make decisions in our lives anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I know that, you know, folks have been listening to folks like me say that for a long time and they're like, yeah, but they just keep, keep, we keep getting all these new variants. It's going to be variant after variant. We're going to work through the Greek alphabet. They're going to move to the Arabic alphabet and I'll know how to pronounce <laughs> those ones. Um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, 
But I, I, I assure you that this is how these things work. And let's not forget, right, the last major pandemic that humanity faced was the 1918 flu pandemic, and it lasted uh, right around three years, right? And so mm. these things unfortunately run their course. And it, here's the here's the tragic thing. It didn't have to be this, this bad, but looking to the future, my hope is that um, that as this moves to endemic, we can start getting more and more of our lives back. But here's the hard part, right? Like, the, people always um, use an analogy of war for this pandemic, and mm-hmm. it's just not the best analogy because the thing about a war is, like, it ends with a treaty, right? There's, like, a bang, right? It's like, all right, it's over. War's over. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to be like that. This is this is going to end slowly, right? It's just going to take less and less mind space, uh, justifiably so, and um, we're going to get more and more of our lives back, and there are going to be parts of our lives that are going to kind of stay where they were just because we all kind of decided that, you know, sweatpants are great. <laughs> sweatpants are amazing i've also been telling uh, a lot of friends that like i think even when this all is over i probably will still wear a mask on a plane you know being in that confined area with yeah. all of those people <clears throat> i probably should have been mar- wearing a mask from the beginning <laughs> you know so, like there are some you know things that i'm sure we'll still be taking with us after this some learnings over. i mean like yeah honestly if, if you if you travel uh in east asia wearing masks in large congested public spaces is a pretty normal thing um you know we we don't do it here but it's a pretty normal thing and it's not inadvisable right i mean <laughs> it's a it is a helpful tool to make sure that the air that you breathe and the 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 air that others breathe from you uh is is filtered mm-hmm. i mean that's what it is the filter on your face so definitely all right let's move to some questions from the audience a lot of these are quite technical so um I'm going to refer to Travel, and they're going to ask the questions. Sound good? Let's do it. Um, the first one I'm going to read out comes from Marissa. It says, if I have the Pfizer booster, how safe am I seeing someone who is unvaccinated, and how safe are they? Hmm. So from what we understand, per the limited evidence that exists right now, is that people who are boosted have the same uh, antibody response to Omicron that people who had had two shots had to garden variety COVID. And so it is not the most advisable thing, um, you know, to be interacting in close quarters with somebody who's not vaccinated simply because their risk is potentially much higher of caring. And it's probably not going to be Omicron. At least at this point, it's it's probably going to be Delta. Um, mm-hmm. but they're a lot safer interacting with you than they would have been interacting with someone else who is unvaccinated. So my recommendation mm. is that, you know, if, if that's the circumstance, I, if you can be outside, that's better. And if you can wear a mask, uh, that's better still. Um, but, uh, but from what we understand, you know, being triple vaxxed when it comes to Omicron, uh, was like being double vaxxed when it came to garden variety COVID. Mm, Okay. And so it's the holiday season. Folks are traveling home. Folks are having parties and whatnot. Should folks be concerned about other people's vax status, you know, if they're coming over to their home or going to to their home? What, what, What should people be thinking in your mind about that? I would say if you've got vulnerable people who, you know, at this point, I'd say anybody over the age of 65, um, even if they've been triple vaxxed, uh, and certainly children who cannot be vaccinated, so under the age of five, 
I, I would be a bit concerned. And I actually, th- I think it would be okay for you to say, you know, are you vaccinated? And one opportunity here, obviously you can't, you know, everybody's social circumstances are different. You're not just going to tell people mm-hmm. they can't come to your house. So one approach here might be um, rapid antigen testing. It's a really helpful way to, you know, to make sure that somebody's negative uh, just before that they enter into a space. But, you know, the important thing is, you know, it should be a pretty a pretty recent test. Ideally, it'd be, you know, before we leave, we're going to all test and then we're going to meet at someone's home. I, doing it the day, uh, you know, before or, you know, even earlier in the day of, it's just that there's, there's more time uh, in which somebody could have been infected. So that's one, one approach to doing that. And obviously, you know, we're, we're trying to avoid not just getting COVID, but also um, creating too much drama in our families. And so uh, that might be one way to just say, look, everybody's going to take a, a rapid antigen test before we all get together. And that way we know that we're doing this safely and, and we're not going to turn this into a, a super spreader event. Yeah, and many, many of those tests you can now get at like CVS or Walgreens or something like that. So it's it's a lot more accessible than testing was, you know, a year ago. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And um the Biden administration has uh has um pushed forward an executive order which requires insurance companies to reimburse. There had been some hold up there, um, but uh but um uh, it's it's rather certain that that's going to move forward. So just make sure you hold on to those receipts. Now, you mentioned earlier that you have a young child. Johanna asks, advice for parents of kids under age two who can't get vaccinated, even though the parents themselves are fully vaccinated and boosted. Yeah, it's a hard situation to be in, right? I, you know, our uh, our little one, Emily, is in that position. She's four and uh, the good news is that uh, we're hoping for late quarter one or early quarter two uh, to have some evidence from clinical trials on younger children. So, you know, they, they, they may be next up to get vaccinated, which is great news. But for now, the most important tool you have is a, is a, um, a mask. I know that's really hard, particularly for the youngest kids. You know, the good news with, with my kids is for she can keep it on reliably, understands why she needs to wear it, has a good sense of that. But it was a lot, a lot harder earlier on in the pandemic when, you know, she was two and just didn't could not keep it on. The rapid testing approach is a really helpful one. And then, um, you know, keeping outside, depending upon where you are uh, in, in, the, in the country. Um, and then from there, social distancing. The good news is that, uh, you know, this virus has been relatively less likely to make younger children ill, although there is some evidence from Omicron now that the, the, though the probability of hospitalization among children who are younger than five is still quite low, it is a bit higher for Omicron than it has been for uh, for other variants. And so that is still something to keep in mind. And, you know, I know that that's really quite limiting um, for, for families. I, you know, I know it because I've lived it, but, um, but that's, the, that's the way to be thinking about it is, is, you know, can we have our kid wear a mask? Can we have other people wear masks around our kid? Can we uh, make sure that we've swabbed everyone when we all get together? Uh, and can, can we make safer choices around maybe staying outside uh, or, or potentially maybe foregoing um, a, a social interaction where our kid could be exposed? Definitely. All right, we've got a question here um, representing the Johnson & Johnson hive. Um, and they ask, with Omicron, us j and Jers feel right back at risk again. Any insight on another booster for the Johnson & Johnson folks? Well, for right now, the most important thing is make sure you get, you get boosted. And I would get boosted with uh, one of the other um, mRNA-based vaccines, whether that's Pfizer or uh, or Moderna, we're still waiting on evidence around what protection folks who've had a J&J and then a, 
an mRNA-based vaccine, uh, what what protection they have um, against Omicron. Um, but until then, I, I would I would sit tight um, and wait further uh, further response. We're just the, the evidence is still not out that yet. We still don't have those uh, those studies available as of December fourteenth when we're taping this. Yeah, and and speaking of, um, someone else asked about the effect COVID has had on mental health and addiction. Um, any sense of of what that impact might be? I know there's been a lot of conversations about just like a lot of people have been going through things during this pandemic. I don't know if it's manifested into actual studies yet or not. It has, and unfortunately, um, they're, they're uh, rather devastating. We know that the risk of opioid overdose in particular when it comes to substance use is up um, about 30%, and uh, that is the highest we've ever experienced in this country. We know that rates of mental illness, in particular anxiety and depression, are also way up, and particularly for young people um, for whom this pandemic has robbed them of of milestones and, and opportunities, as, as you talked about, Travel, right? The opportunity to sort of live your life as a young person, take advantage of all the mm-hmm. things that you, you, you can do uh, as a young person that, you know, create the memories that you take with you in, 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 as you, uh, you grow older. Those opportunities that, I mean, you know, youth is fleeting. Um, and, uh, and so it has been particularly hard on young people. Um, the, the key thing I, I would say, you know, I, I, is, um, you know, if you're feeling, uh, you know, particular kind of way, and um, have thoughts of of hurting yourself. Um, the key thing is to to visit the suicide hotline. Um, it's available, and I know you know in the in during the holidays it can be particularly challenging. That hotline um, is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Again, that's one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Um, and then, you know, th- there are a lot of uh, uh, sources of support. And I, I do think that if you're feeling, um, you know, down or uh, or like you just don't want to do the things that you you usually want to do, uh, or you're feeling just a lot of anxiety, um, it's really important to get help. And for if you're not feeling those things, don't, don't hesitate to reach out to people because, you know, a lot more folks um, are feeling those things than have been. And so it's just really, really important to, to, to take care of ourselves. Obviously, you know, even if you do take care of yourself, it, do- it doesn't make the pandemic go way, but it does help you cope with the pandemic. And that's really yeah. important. Um, Travella, you know, in, in, in folks that you, you make community with and, you know, who you're close to, have you noticed uh, an uptick in, um, in, in, in mental illness and, and, and folks just not feeling, um, feeling great about their circumstances? Definitely. I mean, I think a lot of my friends, you know, we speak openly about like being in depressive states, just, you know, looking at the ways of the world, not being mm. able to go out and and meet people, being hesitant to hug people. Um, and I know for myself, like I got into therapy throughout this journey of the pandemic because it was, you listen, it was, it was a struggle for me at the beginning. Okay. Um, but you're right that, you know, therapy has been a great tool for me to figure out ways to, to cope to figure out ways to kind of manage not only kind of the work stuff and the pandemic stuff, but also just like life as it is now. And so availing ourselves of any of these many tools. And I like to also, you know, remind younger folks, college students in particular, that like, you know, go to the counseling services folks on your on your campus, right? Um one, make them earn they check, but two, they're there to help you. <laughs> they're there to help you work through some of these, you know, unique issues that you might be facing and dealing with. And so therapy, other forms of support, I am a big proponent of that. 
Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. I, you know, um, Sarah, who is a uh, college psychiatrist, um, would really appreciate you sharing that too. So um, that's right. I, you know, if you're on campus, um, those resources are there for you. They're available for you. So please uh, take advantage of them. Um, and you know there there are there are resources available elsewhere as well. And so please, if if you're feeling down, if you're feeling you know not quite yourself, um, it's important to get help. And you know this is an investment in yourself, right? It's it's um, yeah. an investment in in um, in your well being. And uh, you know there's there is a lot to look forward to as as we talked about. Um, but you know you you want to be ready for it. And so it's really important to get help now. What else you got, Travel? All right, we've got another question here. A couple questions that folks have about anti-vaxxers. And so I'm going to combine two into one question, which is someone wants to know how do you go about changing the minds of folks who are anti-vaxxers? And another person is interested in knowing, like, what's the best way to combat or counter all of the conspiracy theories that are out there. Um, I think earlier in the pandemic, they were saying that there were like 5G strips in the masks, right? Or that, you know, your jab, you know, they're putting a tracking device in your jab. You know, all of these absurd things that folks have been kind of proliferating on the internet. How do you combat and push back against some of that? You know, I, I wish there were five G strips in my uh, mask. That'd be amazing. I have, <laughs> I have like really good, really good surface everywhere. Um, <laughs> um, I, I often, you know, I think sometimes we have a uh, really broken stereotype of how conversations that are meaningful go. Like mm-hmm. we think sometimes that someone's going to be spouting off some absurd conspiracy theory and that you're going to save the day with a rightly timed correction, and then folks are going to be like, <laughs> "Thank you, Travel, for." For showing me the truth, I, I deeply appreciate that. I was I was in a bad way, and then and then you educated me, and now I know. Right? That's just not how it works. And mm-hmm. um, and I I think that sometimes we have got to disabuse our, ourselves of that stereotype in order to actually have what meaningful conversations look like. And any meaningful conversation I've ever had about a hard thing, when yes, this is going to be a hard conversation, right? People who hold on to these um, conspiracy theories, they hold on to them for a lot of different reasons. Uh, and because of how heated this conversation has become, um, they, they they know they're trading off a lot uh, to, to hold on to them. And so every conversation I've ever had like this um, has to start from a place of empathy, which is to say, hey, I want you to understand why I care about you. Like, I want you to know that I love you. I care about you. And I want to have this conversation even though it's hard because I care about you. And I want to understand where you're coming from and what's not not just informing what you think, but what you feel. And I think if yeah. we get folks to, to share what they feel, then it's a lot easier to say, well, you know, he, here's, here's first, I, I, I want to validate your emotions. I understand why you feel a particular kind of way, but that doesn't entitle you to your own truth, right? That entitles you to your feelings and you're entitled to your feelings, but that doesn't change the fact that science is science and here's where we are and here's why what you're saying is not true mm-hmm. and here's what the truth is. And then leave it there, right? People are going to push back and they're going to say, well, you're imbibing all this crazy stuff from the media. You you believe that. You you haven't even done your own research. And you're like, okay. But I, I want you to understand, right, that that all of, all of these claims that you're making are demonstrably false. And science is a process. And you can go and take a look at it yourself. I hope that you will. And then slowly but surely keep coming back to it, right? Keep validating how folks feel but also pushing back on their their 
uh, illogic and their uh, unfortunate misinformation. In the public space, right, the, the, the mistake that we often make is that we inadvertently share disinformation when we're trying to push back on disinformation. Mm -hmm. And so the most mm -hmm. important thing, mm -hmm. when you see something absurd, don't share it, right? Yeah. Instead, say what you're for, right? Push back with the truth. Um, and so don't don't make yourself an uh, inadvertent sharer of disinformation in trying uh, to, to push back on it. Uh, Travel, you know, you're a journalist and uh, you've covered mm -hmm. a lot of this on um, What A Day. Uh, what do you recommend to folks um, as, as you think about pushing back on mis and disinformation? Yeah, well, I love what you said about kind of those personal one-on-one conversations with your loved ones, with people that are in your community and recognizing and affirming the skepticism, the feelings that they have about, you know, whatever the circumstance may be, but then also providing the proper information. It is a difficult conversation. It is hard. I have a family member who was peddling some of those conspiracy theories, and she did not stop, even, you know, despite all of the information, uh, proper information that she was receiving, she didn't stop peddling that information until she got COVID. Um, mm. And, you know, she did not, she did not die from COVID, but she was close, Thank you me. know? Yeah. And I hate that it took that like it had to go that far for her to 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 come to whatever realization that she needed. But I think it is important for us as individuals to remember that, like, you know, all we can do is share the proper information. All we can do is affirm the skepticism, the feelings, the uncertainty that members of our community have and do our best to bring them to the light, as they say in the Black church. Um, but recognizing that, like, you're not, you're not going to be able to to convince everyone. You know, there are some people who will need to get COVID and be on a ventilator before they believe, you know, that they need to get vaccinated. And that's, you know, their choice. They can do what they feel like they need to do for themselves. But I think we as individuals can't, you know, um, harp on or shoulder too much of that burden. If you're doing and providing the proper information, I think that's the way to go about it. And then in the public sphere, I think your point about making sure that you're not spreading disinformation by like un unintentionally is is a really good thing. I make sure that like, you know, I'm not sharing nothing unless I am clear that like it, you know, is linked back to the CDC or the FDA. Like, you know, the people who get paid to make these decisions, who went to school all these many years to be, you know, uh, legitimate in terms of their reads and perspectives on those things. I think as a journalist, I'm all about media literacy. I'm all about verifying and fact-checking as an individual. Um, and that includes from, you know, the mainstream publications as well. And I think if we all become a little bit more vigilant about doing that, then we'll get to a space where a lot more folks are equipped to challenge and push back on, you know, some of the foolishness that we hear out there. I really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm really sorry about your experience um, with, with your loved one. That's really painful. Um, but but grateful that they that they recovered and and also um, glad that 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 their experience actually informed the way that they think about this moving forward. Um, yeah. That's a really hard thing to go to for for you and them. 
Travel, I want to thank you so much for uh, for coming on the pod today, guest hosting with me. Uh, it was just so so nice to make community together and uh, to, to 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 come across these uh, these shows. Uh, bring we 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 had a um, we're going to call it a what a dissected. Um, it gives a whole new <laughs> whole new meaning to wad. But um, but uh, just really really grateful for for you, your insights, your perspective. Uh, and um, you know your 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 uh, good humor and um, and and joy. I hope uh, that you have a, a fantastic holiday and just really grateful again for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Call me back anytime. That's it for today. On your way out, if you haven't already rated, reviewed, and shared our show, please do. And if you love the show, I hope you'll drop by the Crooked Media Store for some America Dissected drip. We've got our logo mugs and t-shirts, our Science Always Wins t-shirts, sweatshirts, and dad caps, and our safe and effective tees. America Dissected is a product of Crooked Media. Our producer is Austin Fisher. Our associate producer is Olivia Martinez. Veronica Simonetti mixes and masters the show. Production support from Tara Terpstra, Lyra Smith, and Ari Schwartz. The theme song is by Take Asuzawa and Alex Uguera. Our executive producers are Sarah Geismer, Sandy Gerard, Michael Martinez, and me, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, your host. Thanks for listening.